This morning we're talking about choices, and we just mentioned a couple weeks ago, how many choices, do you remember how many choices the average person runs into a day? It's a couple weeks ago now. I haven't had to work for a couple weeks. Vicar's been preaching for a few weeks, but a few weeks ago we talked about it, 30,000 choices a day, which seems kind of like a lot, but if you just think about waking up, and there's an appeal as people talk about when you read books, they talk about, hey, let's try and make this a little bit easier. So then they say you get in a routine, right? You do A, B, C, D, and G when you wake up. A, B, C, D, E, I missed some letters there, so you... That's the part where it's like brush your teeth, you know, you just skip that one over. So you do go through the same routine every single morning if you go through the same routine at night that takes away some of these choices because as much as I like the choices, how many of you like going to the paint store and see all the different paint colors? I don't like that. This is not my favorite thing in the world. Like I re- when I go there, I end up looking at the catalog and go, that, that looks pretty good in that room. We should just get that color. Or I go to friends' houses and say, this is kind of nice. What color is it? But have you ever tried and you get the paint color and you put it on your walls and then you're not very happy with it? Ever happened to anyone? This is the reason why I tell Amy I will paint every six months. Like she picks and if she picks the wrong color, that's high risk because I'm not painting again for six months. This is the agreement that we have because I just hate doing these things. Um, How many of you like going to the grocery store when there's 8,000 different salsas, right? Sometimes this is good and sometimes you're like, ugh, I don't like this. I need to narrow this down. So when we talk about choices, a lot of the things that these are big, big deals, And some of these choices, we just try and squeeze down a little bit. I was just reading a book. It's called uh, Building a Story Brand. Has anyone read this book by Donald Miller? So someone recommended it. They said I should read this book. And the gist of what he got down to was that an average American runs into 3,000 advertisements a day, which is approximately like 3,000 more than we actually want, right? But if you're in a world where you're trying to get people's attention, they're saying simply this, you have to be really, really clear about what you do or what you offer and what you're trying to do. Because people do not want to put the brain cycles into it. They just don't want to put the effort in to try and figure it out. No one wants anything cute or super clever. They just, what are you trying to do here? Make it clear. This is simply it. And so there's companies, they give given as examples. So I'm going to give it, we'll get to where we're talking about in choices. One was Walmart. And I don't know if you like Walmart or not. I guess we'd probably be about 50% of the people like going to Walmart, 50% do not. But I bet everyone knows what their tagline is. Walmart, save money, no one wants to admit it. Live better. Live better, save money at Walmart. And so Walmart does a couple things there. They're very, very clear. We save you money. Because we save you money, your life is going to be better. Except the shopping at Walmart part. So you have to shop at Walmart, and then your life is better because you save money. But they also hit a fear. And it's not fear-mongering exactly, but they, they kind of subtly mention what the fear is and what is the fear. If I don't shop at Walmart, I'm wasting money, and my life's not going to be as good. So this is kind of this underlining fear. So this happens a little bit more in other industries. Has anyone had to buy a used car recently? Is this a great process? How many of you love buying used cars, right? So there's a reason why. No one likes it. No one wants to have like the sleazy person. No one wants to buy one on Craigslist. I mean, can you imagine? This happened to Vicar. He just told me this story. He bought his Le Sabre. It's a French car. It's really nice. So he's got a Buick Le Sabre, and he bought this. And he said this real buff guy is selling him this car. He's like a bodybuilder guy. And he felt it necessary to show them the trunk of the vehicle. Have you seen the LeSabre? It's like, what year is that? Like 1994? 95. <laughs> That's the best year. Vintage. Vintage. So he's got this 1995 Buick LeSabre. It goes from about here to the curtains. And the guy felt necessary, this bodybuilder, to show them the trunk, which is not exactly the, the most ideal place in a, a vehicle. And he goes, you can fit like two bodies in that trunk. <laughs> you know who he was shopping with? 
the vicar and his wife are looking at this car, and he's like, this is not good. And that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, right? If you're trying to sell a car, would you ever tell someone that a LeSabre only fits two bodies? You can fit like four in there. So I mean, this guy's totally underselling the vehicle. But none of us want to do that. So we try and find this, everyone's got this fear about buying a car. You don't want to get ripped off. You don't want to talk to the salesperson. You don't want the, like all this commission. You don't want to negotiate. Um, you, you're afraid you're going to buy a lemon. So the number one used car dealer in the nation by three times is CarMax. And there's a re, some of you work at CarMax, I know that. And, but they do these things. They do an inspection. They, I think they have some guarantee if you don't like it. They also have um, no negotiation. So the computer determines the price by demand across the country. This is how much the car is selling for. This is the price. That's it. Like you, can't, you don't have to worry about it. You go there. You don't have to worry about this salesman just breathing down your neck and trying to trick you and hiding all these things. This is the deal. So it does very, very well. So Amy and I just recently purchased a used car, and we went through the whole deal, right? Consumer Reports, I even did it this time, to pick out of all the cars, because there's approximately eight kajillion used cars available in America. And we said we're going to get the Subaru Outback. We go to the dealer, which we want to go buy it from. And they've got like 10 of them. Is that good or bad? A little of both. So we start test driving these cars, right? So we, I get there at five, we start test driving these cars, and they pack them so tight that they had to move cars, they had to jump cars, that you don't want to buy a car that they have to jump. That means not a lot of people are you know, into that car. So they move all these cars, and I'm just parking them randomly as we go. We, park, we test drive like eight cars. And then at one time on the way back, he goes, yeah, I'm getting some gruff from the other salespeople. I said, Bobby, what's the deal? And he goes, we're only supposed to let you test drive three cars. Why? You don't want to waste his time, but the more choices you add, the more difficult the decision becomes. So if you're just trying to pick salsa, for example, it's really easy if they just say, we have hot, mild, and medium. What do you want? But what happens if they have, we have mild, mild, hot, medium, medium, mild, and you'd be like, what? Do you want cornet? No cornet. Do you want green? Do you want red? And like all these choices, and eventually you're like, I don't know, just give me the one in the middle. And I think there's some psychology behind it when Joshua gets down to talk to the people. So Joshua, in a very famous passage right here today, whom will you serve? He gets this, is Joshua 24, and he sits down all the people at Shechem. So if you have your Bible along, we're in Joshua 24, way at the end. This is the guy who succeeded Moses. And he sits down with them, and he brings all the leaders together. We're going to look at that. And he, said, he narrows it down to just A or B. A or B. So this is how it starts. Does it have to do this every week? Can we just get to number two? That'd be awesome. There we go. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. You just did that, right? Okay. So I will give you a very covert signal. I'll wink twice when I want you to go to the next slide. So long ago, I've got another. I hope this works with all the drama that I'm now doing right now. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah and the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. So he's sitting in the ground and he's like, I want you to remember that this is not always your situation. When you came in here and God is behind you, this is not your situation always. Instead, there is a family history that says you did something else. Your family did something else. And I think sometimes we talk about that. When you talk about choices and where you came from, there's a legacy that comes from your family. And some of that's really positive, right? 
So when you think of your family legacy, something very positive, you might say, we have a blue-collar work ethic. Your family line is that you, you have a family that has not been given much, but you are able to succeed in spite of that. You have a family that is always kind to people no matter who they are. You have a family that they're accepting whenever they come to your house. You have a family that um, they always went to church every single Sunday, right? These are positive legacies. These are positive legacies. And when you think about your family, maybe they, um, you know, didn't, they're always good with money and they saved their money and they helped the poor. You know, they, they have these positive family legacies, but not all family legacies are positive. The Ball family, for example. That worked. Um, this is Edward Ball. He wrote a book. He's a lot older now, but this was his kind of shot for his book. And he lived in South Carolina a number of years ago. So this is one of the places that his family lived in in South Carolina. You can kind of guess where this is going. You can go on a tour of the Ball family. It looks like this. But you can go down a river. He actually went back for a family reunion. And you can go down this river, and they owned plots of like 3,000 acres. All the Balls owned like the whole entire county, basically. They, they harvested rice. But as the rice industry moved down to Louisiana, it started to, they lose some of that money. But that's not the legacy. I'm, you can guess what I'm going to talk about, right? Here is Elias Ball, the founder, and does anything look unusual? Edward, when facing his family and reading about this, his family was known as the family that had the most slaves in that county. And so when he looks back on his family history, he's very proud that they succeeded and they did really well, but at the same time, there's this reality that some of the plantations that they had had two and three hundred slaves apiece. And so Edward, when he writes a book called Slaves in the Family, and he went back, he actually moved to South Carolina and started investigating to try and meet some of these families to see if there's some kind of dialogue that he could have because he feels this weight. And I bring that up because choices aren't always just A and B. A and B is really easy, right? Black and white, what do you want? Uh, do you want to be fat or do you want to be in shape? Do you want to be uh, hungry or do you want to be full? Do you want to be, have money or no money? Like, this is not super difficult. You can sit down with a kid and say, we got option A or B. Most of the time, it's not super difficult. You can say, do you want something or do you not want something, right? You, you, when you break it down to that, it works all the time. It's super easy. And if we would say, just a survey right here, I think I would have 100% of people that said, if you want to choose God or not, how many of you are going to go, yeah, I've been thinking about not choosing God for a while now. Nobody. I've been reading some books. Like, nobody is thinking that. If I just asked you God or not, it's really easy. But a lot of the decisions are a lot more difficult because there's a spectrum. And what he is saying, when he sits down, with the, he says, remember where you came from. And I think sometimes before we make this decision, remember where we came from because not all our legacies are positive. Do you have a family where your dad is a tyrant and you see that coming through in the way that you parent? Do you have a family that struggles with alcoholism? Is there a legacy in your family that you aren't very accepting of people? That you're a very judgmental family? Do you have a family that just wastes money you have a family that never went to church? Is this part of your family legacy? Do you have a family that's racist? Do you have a family that, do you have a family that in your background, you don't talk about it, you grew up in the South, and your family was a part of the Confederacy and had slaves, and they were proud of it. Is this part of your legacy? This is part of the decision you make when God says, are you going to choose me or not? Are you ready to drop this family legacy that's not super positive? So he continues. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. 
So the people have this decision to make, right? He stands before them and says, you get to pick right here. Are you going to serve God or not? I don't care what your family did in the past. Are you going to serve God or not? And you can imagine this weight. And the people, before making this huge decision, it's really interesting how they talk. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. The only way you can make a decision in your own life to say, I want to follow God, is to understand what God has done for you. That is the only way it's possible. You can't do it out of obligation. You can't do it out of guilt. You can't do it because your parents did it. The only way you can say, this is what I want to do and make this hard decision is when you understand what God has done. Because it was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt. They're like, they're remembering this. Wait, we were slaves and God brought us from this land of slavery and performed those great signs. He did all these things before their eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. When they think about this and they say, wait, God was our Savior. We could have been slaves. We could have been stuck. We could have been like just in a no man's land. But it was the Lord who saved us and brought us out. Here's our decision. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And when you think about it, just think a little bit where God has put you in all the world. God has put you in the richest nation with all kinds of stuff. Most of us have more stuff than we want. Just think about the blessings that God has poured out on you. Just think about the family that God has given you. Not, not but just, just physically. God says, I want to take you to a place where there isn't alcoholism. I want, I want you to be with me where there's a place where there isn't abuse and there isn't these closets and family secrets. He says, I want to take you to a place where all of that is gone and all of that is forgiven. And it's a place where you can dwell with me, but the price for me is giving up my son, but I think it's worth it. I want to give my son for you. And he's going to die on a cross for you so you can understand forgiveness and hope and be in a place that is utterly fantastic. Only then can you say, I want to choose God. But is it that easy? Let's just look at this one more time. Now, the fear of the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Complete. All faithfulness. What he's asking the people is, are you ready to give up any other idol that stands in the way, any other God that stands in the way between you and your relationship with God? All faithfulness. He doesn't just say, I want you to be pretty committed. I don't want you to just be kind of in. He says, I want you to be all in. Are you ready to do that? And the only way to do that is to get rid of everything in between. So I brought here this chromatic gradation chart. We would say white is serving God and black is not serving God. I think most of us in our life, if we just came down to, do you want black or white? We would say white. We want to serve God, right? But I think many, many of us struggle because we say, I want to serve God and I want something else. I want to serve God and I want to be successful at work. I want to serve God and I want to be popular. I want to serve God and I want someone to love me. I want to serve God and I do want nice stuff. What is shifting you down that, that path? What is pushing you over this way? That's what God says when he means all faithfulness. I want you here. What is pushing you over here? And the only way to push over that way and the only way to have and in the sentence, I want God and, is the compromise. I'll give you a couple examples. Say you really want to be loved. You know in your mind I should find a Christian spouse. or I should do, you, know, you know I want someone who's kind and loving and treats me right. But sometimes you just want to be loved. 
And so you settle for someone that you know is not good for you. That's compromise. You want God and to be successful. And so you say, this is the choice I want to make. I want to I do this or I want to do that or I'm going to go to this business and I'm going to do something that I know is not in my best interest. Compromise. The only way God says that you can just stay on this end is anything on this end, anything, even if it starts to shade that way, God says you have to get rid of it. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. You've got to get rid of this stuff. Anything that keeps you between God and serving him, anything from here over, you just got to get rid of it because God does not want ands in your life. I don't know what that looks like in your life. But I know to do that, you have to give up things you really like. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, when I read this as a kid, I remember they would just go, you choose God or me. If this seems undesirable, I'm like, how could it be undesirable to serve God? Well, what God is talking about is not serving him. If it seems undesirable for you to cut off the and, is what he's talking about. Does it seem undesirable for you to give up maybe a job? Does it seem undesirable for you to give up a relationship? Does it seem undesirable for this pursuit of a certain thing or a power or status? Does that seem undesirable to you? Of course it does. We like it. What do you have to do? Remember, throw it all away. So this is his question before he finally gets to it. First Timothy Real famous passage, uh, probably the most misquoted, but we'll get to that in a second. So godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. Then we get to the part that's really famous. That plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, love, not just money, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's the deal. You can be successful. You can. You can be popular. What are you willing to pay for it? You can be loved, but what are you willing to give up? Willing to give up uh, your weekends? Maybe, right? It's only a weekend. Yeah, you're willing to give up your nights. Maybe. If you really want to succeed, you've got to say, I'm going to work harder than everyone else. This is what I'm, I'm willing to give that up. Are you willing to give up time with your family? Maybe, right? Maybe. As you kind of weigh all these things that you desire and you say, is this worth giving up? Are you willing to give up time uh, in worship with God? And you, you're going, well, it's not every week, right? What are you willing to give up? Are you willing to give up a family? Are you willing to give up your faith? You can get just about anything you want in this world, but you've got to pay for it. So when it comes down to it, it's not what do you choose. That sounds really easy and it sounds pedestrian. What do you choose, God or something else? God is really saying, what do you want to serve? Because any idol that we have, whether the true God or something else, takes service. It takes effort. It takes money and it has demands. It takes demands to be successful. It takes demands to be popular. It takes demands to have stuff. It takes demand to have power and control. All of this stuff has a cost. And so what Joshua is saying is he stands before the people. It's not just as simple as black and white. It's not that easy. He says, I stand before you and I want you to ask you a question. Are you ready to be completely faithful to your Lord? And this is not going to be a desirable decision. 
It's not so easy as, yeah, I'll follow God. He's saying, are you willing to get rid of all this other stuff that keeps you from me? Choose you this day who you will serve. And Joshua stands before the people, but he says, as for me and my family, right? I can't make this choice for you, he's saying. But as for me and my family, when I remember what God has done for me, we serve the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit, you do not expect much of us in the scheme of things, how, much, how willing you were to give up your Savior uh, for us. Help us have a heart of gratitude that looks very openly at our own lives. We, we want you and something else. Help us get rid of those other things, anything that is keeping us from a relationship for you. Sometimes each one of us have our own demons, each one of us have our own stuff. But what does it look like to completely get rid of those things so that we can walk steadfast with you? That's the heart we desire, and that's the commitment we want as we look at what Joshua calls the people to do. We ask that same commitment in our own hearts as we love and serve you as our true Savior. Amen.